Well, praise God. There it is. What was that? <laughs> Just heard something. <laughs> Amen. Well, I have an alarm clock on my nightstand right next to my bed. And it makes this piercing sound that wakes me from my slumber to the stark reality of the moment. The moment is I got to get up. That's what it is. But there is this feature on this alarm clock, and I think you all know what it is, that I personally believe was invented in the devil's workshop. It's this news button, right? The alarm clock is meant to alert me to a truth that will affect the rest of my day. If I don't get up on time, if some of you don't have your coffee, and some of you don't, we don't want you to work, you know, wake up and leave the house with your makeup all over the place and your hair not combed, but your, the rest of the day could be a mess. So the alarm clock is meant to alert me to this truth. It'll affect the rest of my day, but the snooze button helps me to ignore it. So it is with life. There are moments that are meant to awaken us to the stark reality that is before us. Pivotal moments in our lives where God screams loudly. Where God is trying to get our attention. You know, you're going down the wrong path. You're hanging out with the wrong people. You're doing the wrong things. You're shortchanging me. You're allowing things to distract you. You think that you can fix people. You think that you can fix things. Moments where he pierces the darkness with his light. Moments that break into your life uninvited. It's as if you've been sleeping a long time and suddenly you're awakened. It's a moment that changes everything. Moments like that when they come like they did for me in 1990. In April, I still remember it so vividly. I can see it every time I close my eyes. It was the moment that God said, you, it's your turn. It's your time. In moments like that, you have to be careful with because oftentimes we will hit the snooze button on moments like that. Opportunities that come to us that will change the rest of our lives. If you allow me for the next 20 or 30 minutes, I just want to have a conversation about these moments. Moments that are recurring regularly for us. Moments that are constantly coming to us. And if we're not aware of these moments, the opportunity will come and go. And I got to tell you something, I don't remember 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. They're a blur, you can't get them back. You can't get back that time. But God was screaming loudly into my life during those times. He was trying to get my attention. And I hit the snooze button. I ignored them. These moments, the Bible is full of them. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 20, there is such a story that many of you have heard and read before, but I want you today to see it with new eyes, hear it with fresh ears, and allow this moment to be that kind of moment, a God moment that changes everything for you. As it is a custom in this church, a tradition, and a very good habit, we stand in reading God's word. If you can, please stand. If some of you cannot, we understand. Don't stand. Luke chapter 15, 11 through 20, you'll find the message. If you're here for the first time, it's on the screen. If not, it's in your bulletin so you can follow along. I just want you to listen. You've read the story before. You've heard it before. You've seen it before. And some of us have had glancing moments over it. Jesus is telling this story and he says, then he said there was once a man who had two sons. 
The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through that country, and he began to hurt. Someone say hurt. hurt. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry. Somebody say hungry. hungry. He would have eaten the corn cobs. Listen to that again. The corn cobs in the pig slop, but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses. He said, all those farmhands working for my father sit down at three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and went home to his father. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. You may be seated. You've heard it before. You've read it before. I want at the very beginning, and I didn't do that earlier, but most of you know this story as the prodigal son. And the word prodigal, I hope you know what it means. It means wasteful. It means someone who wastes their time, someone who wastes their treasure, someone who just takes their talents and throw it by the wayside. And this is not a real story, but a story full of life, and you can't help but read or hear this story with someone you know in mind. It may even be your story, as it was mine. It's so natural for us to run from our problems, isn't it? Or to choose want, to want the now rather than the later. How often in our lives has instant gratification taken us to places we said we would never go? Staying longer than we needed to stay and doing things we said we would never do. But it's in a moment of weakness, in a moment of distraction where we think things are better over there. Things are better somewhere else. If you're a young person here today and you're still at home, you still have loving parents who care for you, like I do, my goal is to get you to live on your own, to be able to make the proper decisions, to have a faith where you could be rooted. And when you find yourself in the midst of the hurt and the hunger, that you remember the lessons taught by us. It's the very reason I teach my kids how to tie their shoes, pick up the seat, flush, wash your hands, throw out the garbage, do your homework, how to dress. It's not that we want to control you. We want to prepare you to leave. <laughs> we do. But we don't want you to fail. Nothing pains a father more than to see his child fail. So it is with our Heavenly Father. He doesn't want us to fall on our faces, especially when he's left us such a plethora of information and so many examples in the Word of God as this story has. But I'm concerned that in a moment of weakness, moments where we think that it looks better over there, we hear the call of the distant country. And this young man began to yearn for something that would satisfy his hunger. Imagine that. And quench his thirst. Can I just tell you that there is nothing in this world that will satisfy the hunger of your soul or quench the thirst? Been there, done that. Try to fill my life with things that I thought would satisfy me only to find that they were not. I needed more. I wanted more. I felt like Pac-Man. 
right? You know, you have to eat more and eat more. I'm concerned that some of us are still like that. We're looking for things to satisfy our hunger that will not satisfy our hunger. We're thirsting and we're not drinking from the living well that God gives us. But here's what I'm going to tell you. When you travel to the distant land, you're not only going somewhere, but you're also leaving something behind. And a life lived apart from the Father only gets worse. The question is, then is, how far will it go? How far will you stay there? How far will you allow yourself to suffer the pains and the hurts and the unsatisfying hunger and thirst that you go through in this distant country that you thought was better? Some of us are still attending church regularly, a building. And how many of us know that the church is not a building? It is a people, a people that have been sealed by Christ. People that come together to be able to realize that there's nothing else that will satisfy our hunger or our thirst except Jesus. But I know that for me it was there in this distant country where sovereign God aligned all my circumstances in such a way that I was ready. I was ready for what we'll be talking about today. I was ready for an aha moment. Yes. Aha. An aha moment where the light bulb goes off. But this is not just any moment. And some of us speak so freely about spiritual awakenings, but are not spiritual. Some of us talk about, oh man, you know, this is not what I'm talking about. This is not about you suddenly coming into something and being aware of it. No, this is an aha moment. It is a God moment that changes everything. A God moment that changes everything. Not just any moment. It is a God moment that changes everything. In fact, we see it in the text. It says, after he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through that country, and he began to hurt. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs. Now listen to me. This is not corn on the cob. That's a meal. This is corn cobs. This is what's left over after you get done with the corn. It's thrown in this slop. It's all mixed up with I don't know what. I don't know if anybody's ever seen pig slop. Okay, it's not a tasty meal. It's not delicious. But there are some who are still slopping with pigs. There's still some who, uh, rather than have a morsel from God's table, rather eat corn cobs and say that it is a meal. It says here, no one would give him any. As hungry as he was. I think about that picture, how he used to feed the pigs, and, and probably the pigs came running. He would try to get in between and get something, and even the pigs said, yo, this is mine. I want to talk to you about those aha moments, those God moments that just change everything. Change everything in your life. Change your eternity. Change your moment. Erase your past, not in a way that we forget, but in a way that we begin to heal from them. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of hurt in my past that I need to heal from. There's a lot of pain in my past that I need to come to the realization and resolve that and say, I can't get that back. I can't do anything about that. Some of us are still stuck there, and because of that, we can't walk in this present victorious, despite knowing that the cross has given us the victory. These aha moments have three ingredients, and just like a good recipe, you have to understand that all three of these ingredients must exist for you to have an aha moment. 
If not, you'll just have an A moment or an ah moment or a ha moment. We want to have an aha moment, and you have to understand the ingredients of each single one, the components of each single one, so that you, when these moments happen in your life, you realize you can mark it on a calendar. To this day, 1990 of April was an aha moment for me. When my children were born, it was a ha-ha moment for me. I knew that I had to begin to change and give some things up. I had to think more of them than I did of myself. There were moments in my life that I can point out of them being these aha moments, these God moments where he came in and it was there that things changed. It changed everything. The way I think, the way I feel, the way I move. The first A in aha is awakening. It is a starting realization when a person's eyes are open to an insight that changes how he or she sees himself, life, or God. It's a painful recognition when an individual comes face to face with the destruction he or she has caused. Now that's the A for awakening, and you can have an A moment, and some of us do. And in the scriptures it says that that brought him to his senses, but that's not an aha moment. That is an A moment. That is a moment where you recognize, man, I've caused some destruction. I've hurt myself and I've hurt some people. And then there's some insight, some, some realization. It's startling because you see your eyes open and you see things in light of yourself, life, and God. This is not the life I should be living this is not how I should be using this gift that God has given me or this opportunity that God has given me. It's not enough to have an A moment. We need to have an aha moment. These moments where God comes in and he changes everything. And it's not just the way you dress. It's not because you're clean shaven. It's not because you're sober. An aha moment is a God moment that gets you to realize that your life is no longer yours. It belongs to him. The family that you've been born into is the very family that he wanted you to be in to nurture you and prepare you for what he has in store for you. Every person here has been given a gift. Every person here has been called. There is something that God wants you to do. But an awakening could be derailed. There are moments where these things happen. We get this A moment, this awakening, and we hit the snooze button. There are three forms of denial that derail an awakening. And I want to share those with you and see if you have fit in or experienced these things. This first one is simple denial. This is when one simply ignores the problem. Right? Right? You got a drinking problem. No, I don't. <laughs> oh, I don't. Right? I don't love you anymore. Why are you still doing here? No, you'll get over it. I'll grow on you. No. You, 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 what are you doing in the back of the store? You're gambling your money away. There's, there's a problem here. But you ignore the problem. The next one is where we minimize. It's called minimization. This is when one plays down the problem. Oh, everybody's doing it. Everybody's involved in it. Everybody's doing it. So come on, leave me alone, man. You know, I was talking to a bunch of guys the other day. I think I was talking to a bunch of guys. And, uh, you know, you get people who talk to you and you have conversations, right? And, and, you know, they always try to justify and explain the scriptures. They all become theologians, just like people in prisons or jailhouse lawyers, you know? And, man, if God didn't want me to drink, why he turn water to wine? You know, like, why? You know? Or God helps those who help themselves. Help themselves to what? Right? Because that's not theology. So we have all these things that we bring in, and that's not what it is. We begin to minimize, and we play down the problem. And let me tell you something. If the scriptures are not ruling and reigning your life, if your life is not ordered according to the scriptures, then you're living your life, not the life that he has set before you. 
And granted, I stand before you. I don't understand everything. I understand the simplest things, that God loves me. And that he did not create me so I could hurt me or hurt others. And I was pretty good at that in the past. I'm not intentionally looking to hurt anybody today. Like, like today, some people may get offended by the things I'm saying. That's not my intentions to purposely offend you. It is the word of God trying to get you to a place where you need to get to. And if you're offended to get you to move out of the rut that you're in, then praise God. Praise God. Because there's one thing that we kind of constantly preach about and preach against, and it's sin. Sin separates us from God. The, the pursuit of our desires to think that it's better over there and the call of the distant country and the hunger and the thirst within us that we seek to fulfill with other things will only derail us and force us to go into a place of denial. We will all hit the snooze button. And I got to tell you, you don't get back that time. Now, I've gotten really slick with this snooze button. I've said it like 15 minutes before I got to get up. And it goes off every five minutes. <laughs> and I've gotten even smarter. I got an iPhone, right? I, I got some beautiful tunes that wake me up. I got some chimes. I got a motorcycle. I got a dog barking. Like I got all kinds of things just to try to wake me up. And don't, don't get me wrong. I sleep well because I know that sleep is important. But when God screams loudly into our lives, we cannot hit the snooze button. When, when your relationship is not going in a direction and you're starting to talk about the D word, when, when you're starting to see your, your children all over the place, when you're starting to see your finances all over the place, when you're starting to see the plans that you made go away, then you realize that there are moments where God screams loudly and says, stop. And we can easily derail these things through simple denial where we ignore the problem, play down the problem, and then thirdly, we project. Anybody know what that is? It should be on the screen. It says, this is when one projects the problem and the blame unto someone else. Come on now. Yeah, yeah, just elbow somebody right now. Just elbow the person next to you. It's your fault, man. You got me here to listen to this, right? We do that. We love to blame others. You know, my mommy didn't hug me. My daddy didn't walk me. They toss football with me. You know, my neighbors, you know, they do this, they do that. Listen, stop for a moment. The person in your seat is a person that needs to hear this. Not anybody else. This is your moment, but your awakening could be derailed by denial. We have to stop blaming others. Because here's what I'm saying. When we were younger, when we were children, things were done to us. But as we get older, we become willing participants. Like we go. You know? You know, we, we, you know at that point, it's like, yo, you ain't doing this to me no more. Unless I want to. Unless I want to have a part in it. So you have to be aware that, that blaming others is not the way to go. The H in aha Stands for honesty. Big word. Big, big word. Brutal honesty, where one faces the reality as it is, not as you might want it to be. You consider the state of your soul, whether it's stormy or gloomy or bright or sunny. or You begin to, to establish and you say, man, oh. And he says here in the scripture, he says, I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. This is the moment where we realize when we're brutally honest that you have been living for you. You haven't been living for anybody else. You have been living for you. It's all about you. You're like this vortex, this suck zone that sucks everything into it. You've caused some collateral damage. And what the son does here says, I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. You know what he's doing here? He's rehearsing. He's still with the pigs. He's come to his senses. At this moment, he's having a change of heart. That there's a change of mind that's going on. I don't have to live like this anymore. Listen to me. I don't care where you are. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care what you've done. 
You don't have to live that way anymore. If you know this story, that there is a father who's waiting with open arms to receive you, to accept you. You know, I, I, I minister to people a great deal, and people say, I got to get good before I go to church. Where does it say that? Where does it say I got to get good to go to church? I thought we came to hear so that our faith can be given to us. Faith is a gift. And in that faith, I believe that at the cross, everything was done for me. And I just got to, you know, believe that and begin to walk accordingly. Now, I know that there are some things, and I think the pastor hit it on the head last week when he said that the reason you're still involved in some things is because you like it. Come on now. It's because you like it. But, 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 but you can't, you know, serve two masters. You can't, you know, just like church. You can't just like the Father. You know, you can't just, you have to realize that you have sinned against God, that the life you're living, the life of self, the self, you know, where you're instant gratifying, where you're crying like a little baby, gimme, 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 where you have a sense of entitlement, where you feel like somebody owes you something. Listen, nobody owes you anything. No, I got, I got kids. You know, I... <laughs> Man, I, and I use them as an example because I love them, man. And, and, and my kids, like, you know, they, they just, I love them. It's just bottom line. You know, they, sometimes they want to ask questions like, why you love me? I said, let me see. You don't throw out the garbage. You don't do this. You don't do that. I just love you. I just love you. You're not doing anything for me. I just love you. <laughs> but it's gotten to a point in my life with them that when they were younger, I began to give them everything they wanted, just about everything they wanted. Just because you know what I was trying to compensate for my life as a child I didn't have so I wanted them to have whereas what I didn't have I was forced to work for it so I developed a work ethic guess what happened with my kids hey dad can I have the keys to the car hey dad can I have some money hey dad the refrigerator is empty you see where I'm going with this we're not in old anything. We're not entitled to anything. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. And it's so important for you to realize that in the midst of this, he knew and he started to rehearse this line. And he said, man, when I go see my father, I'm going to tell him, okay, he's got to take me in. I'm his son. Um, okay. So I'm going to tell him, father, I've sinned against you, and I know he's very religious. Oh, I sinned against God, too. All right, and some of us, sometimes, we use that. We use the church that way. Pastor, you got to do something for me. Yeah, I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to hit the snooze button. That's what I'm going to do. He's rehearsing this, and this is the place where you can avoid what you've encountered. Some of us avoided or deny what we've encountered. Like God speaks to us. And, and for me personally, I remember back in 1990, I went to a service and, and I felt like the guy was speaking right to me. And I sat in the back and, and, and you know, they said, man, does anybody want to accept Jesus Christ? Is your life really not what you want it to be? And I was like, yeah, you know. And he was like talking to me and I said, who told this guy about me? Like, you know, somebody, you know, told him about me and sent him. There was no Facebook back then. So I guess a messenger said I have to deliver it, whatever it was. That's how old I am, right? So I was sitting in the chair. And as they're doing this, you know, everybody with their head bow and stuff like that, I felt my chair begin to shake. And I held on to the chair because I wasn't getting up. I wasn't going to no front. And I'm looking around thinking, hey, can somebody shut off the, the button to this chair? Am I on the chair that shakes? I, nobody was moving. Nobody was doing anything. And, and I just resisted. And the service closed. And my opportunity came and went. I got to tell you something, that my week, from Sunday to Sunday, in the middle of the week, my truck was broken to all my tools were stolen. And I'm not saying it was God. I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying that God was screaming loudly. He screamed loudly in that service, and I walked away. Just like God is screaming loudly into your lives right now, there is a path you're on. There is a life you're living. There is something you're doing that is not what God has for you. There are plans you're making that is not what God has for you. 
There are things you're engaging in that you should not be engaging in. God is screaming loudly. This is your aha moment, not just an A moment where you can listen to something and hit a snooze button and hope that I go away. That you can ignore it or you can minimize it or you can say, oh, it's your fault. This is how I am. It's not how you are. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what the scriptures tell me. Each one of you has value. Each one has been worth to be redeemed. The cross indicates that. Christ died at the cross says that you were worth it. So I don't care what anybody tells you. I don't care what you see in the mirror. What God sees is this jewel. What God sees is this wonderful life that if you allow him into your life, he will cause it to shine so bright that the world will be blinded by the light. Darkness will be dispersed, and wherever you go, you will be a person that people will want to know what happened to you. Where have you been? What resort did you go to? And then you can tell them. You can tell them there was no program, there was no institution, there was no classroom. It was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did it to me. And I remember in the middle of the week that happened to me, and I said the next day, I said, God, just give me another chance. Give me another chance. And I went back to church the following Sunday, and the pastor was speaking about forgiveness. And man, did I struggle with forgiveness because I thought that I had done some things that I could not be forgiven for. Like some of us in this room feel, and we beat ourselves up about it. Let me tell you something. Just quickly, David killed his best friend, slept with his wife, tried to hide the child that was born, right? That was supposed to be born. Well, it wasn't, didn't work out that way. It wasn't God's plan. Saul engaged in bringing a sacrifice to God he wasn't supposed to bring. And his soul was disobedient, so much so that it cost him his reign and his rule. Eventually, towards the very end, he had to lay on his sword. And then you think about Peter. Like, like that's the message that got me when, when, when the pastor said, Peter denied Christ three times. I never denied God. I wore my rosary. I, I did the cross. I lit the candles. I knew he was there, but I didn't think that he wanted a relationship with me. Not me. He couldn't forgive me. So if you put yourself on that spectrum, that continuum between Peter and David, what have you done that you feel God cannot forgive you for? Because that kind of covers everything. And because of that, you can be forgiven. And I said yes to Jesus. Let me tell you something. And I, it's so vivid in my mind. Before he was finished preaching, I was at the front crying. And I never cried. It was like floodgates were open. I was told never to cry as a child. I grew up that way. I grew up pretty hard. And my dad says, the last time I want to see you crying was about 12 years old. I stopped crying. It's like the tear ducts just shut off. But when the Lord grabbed a hold of me, when I had that aha moment... It was that God moment where God changed everything. He said, it's okay for you to cry. Man, I was sniveling. You know, like snot comes out of your nose. I was crying. And, and, and I'm sure that the pastor, as he was still talking because he wasn't finished, he must have had his ushers like, yo, take care of that guy, man. You know, I was the only guy in the front. I didn't care at that point. I did not care. Listen to me. When you have those aha moments. When God comes into your life and he changes everything, when there's this realization, when there's this wake up that happens, like, like, like you just wake up, you've been sleeping for so long, you've been involved in a relationship you should not be in, God says no more. You're doing this and God says no more. You're going to this place and God says no more. You're hurting yourself and God says no more. Those are the moments that God allows in our lives. Circumstances that he just aligns to get us to look up and say, okay, you got to do something. And this is the only cry I had when I came to the Lord in April 1990. I said, Lord, keep me. Don't let me go in and out of the church. I don't want to do that. Just keep me. If you're this God, just, just keep me. 
I'm talking about 1990. I've grown up with a lot of Christians who are no longer here, people who have come and gone. I said, Lord, just keep me. I'll serve you. My life is yours. Now, don't get me wrong. No wings, no halo. I don't float. Okay? Don't get me wrong. You hang out with me occasionally, we're going to get into it. Okay? But I know that I'm no longer the person that I used to be. That's what aha moments do. Amen? When these moments come, it's just real simple. I have sinned, period. We don't try to qualify it, explain it, rationalize it. We don't try to go into this whole encyclopedia about why I sinned. The fact is, you did. And the realization is that just 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five 25 tells us we have to examine ourselves. If you're a believer and Christ is in your life, self-examination is something you have to do regularly. It is the word of God, the mirror of God's word that allows us to see our lives. And if it's not lining up, then, hey, I know the one who can make the crooked things straight. All you got to go is go into his tool shed. And he'll begin to straighten you out. Some of us are still walking around like this. Hey, God bless you, brother. How you doing? God bless you, brother. God bless you, brother. Hey, you got something wrong with your spine? No, I'm all right. I'm all right. And I'm saying, go into the tool shed, man. Let Jesus straighten you out. Let the Holy Spirit, let the Word say, oh, man, I'm not supposed to be walking that way. Hold on a minute, man. Yo, straighten me out, God. How many of you can go into that tool shed and say, God, straighten me out? Some of you are like, no, I ain't going back there. I ain't going back there, that tool shed. I'm going to just keep walking like this. I'm going to make it fashionable. I think the rest of the world's crooked. Two, let me tell you something. Those aha moments are so profound, but you need to examine yourself. I came to a moment where I realized I was a sinner and I needed a savior. I was a sinner and I, was, I needed a savior. I, I, I had done some things and I needed forgiveness. And I got to tell you something, people will not forgive you. Some people will just not forgive you. Some people say, yeah, I'll forgive you, but I ain't forgetting. They'll look at you. I'll forgive you, but I ain't forgetting. I'm like, come on, man, give me a break. Right? You got to help me out with this. I'm trying here. I'm trying here. And God says, man, you know what he does with our sins? Does anybody know? He casts them in the deepest part of the sea. He takes them from you and he casts them. You know what he does even further? He hangs a no fishing sign. But you know what we do? We go with our little bucket, our little fishing rod. And we start fishing things out, and God says, no more. You don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to. Listen, you had an aha moment. God changes everything. He wants to put you on a new path, a new direction. Listen to me, beloved. Listen, we love you in this church. We, we, we want to help you in this process. I, you know, we, we, we enjoy, we, we relish moments when we see people coming into the church who don't understand, who don't know, who don't care, who are just broken and just nasty, ornery people. But they get to a moment where they say, you know, I don't want to be this person anymore. Man, you don't know how we enjoy those moments where someone says, Pastor, help me. Now, don't ask me for my help and then question how do I give it to you. Because you may not like it. I may ask you to run around the block five times. You're like, what's running around the block five times going to do for me? Well... I can go into that, but I won't. <laughs> the, the point is that some of us ask for help and then question the manner in which it comes. Some of us said, God, help me. I had a young man who did that. He started praying. He said, God, help me. God, help me. God, help me. And then I got a call from the precinct. He was like, yo, pastor, I'm in jail. I said, you pray. God, help you. <laughs> you weren't going to get off the corner. He got you off the corner. He used the police to lock you up. And now... You're ready to hear about Jesus. Because you know what happens when we get locked up. We get religious. Oh, boy. We start sending letters with scriptures. Right? We go to workshop and make crosses. Right? We start getting all kinds of religion. Are we okay? All right. 
But we need to examine ourselves, whether you're in the faith, test yourself. If Christ is in you, man, Christ is in you. Now listen, if you're in this room and you don't know Christ, there is no greater thing that can happen to you than to develop a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's that God moment. That moment where he pierces and he comes in and he says, you know what, you belong to me. You don't belong to her, you don't belong to him, you don't belong to it, you don't belong to that. You belong to me. And I want you to walk with me. I want you to be with me. I want you to share this life here. And watch what I'm going to do with you. I'm going I'm to tweak this and fix that. And you're going to see that everything now, everything that happens in your life, you're going to see it differently. You're going to feel it differently. You're going to experience it differently. You know, I, I told you many times in this room, and I shared this many times, I, I, wasn't, I was told not to cry at a certain age. Does anybody identify with that? Like, like tears are supposed to be a sign of weakness or something like that. Listen to me. Real men cry. And real men can wear pink. It's all good, huh? Huh? I know, I know. We, we justify by calling it Salmon now. But no, it's pink. It's pink. I'm confident in who I am in Christ. With all my bumps and bruises, I know that God is doing something in my life. And I'm so much better today. I had an aha moment. God showed up and he changed everything. I didn't have to look like the magazine cover. I didn't have to say things that everybody else was saying and do anything else was saying. And I'm going to pause for a moment just to talk a little bit about some of the fashions that we have. Like, I'm at the very tail end of my, I'm at the other side of a century, okay? Don't ask me my age. At the other side of a century. And I'm befuddled sometimes when I see older, much older, men wearing fitted caps sideways and their pants down to here. I just, it befuddles me. It does. I'm thinking, are they trying to recapture something that they missed? Because you can't. Are they trying to be down and cool? Because you could be down and cool and not have to dress like anybody else. The same thing with women. Listen to me. I ain't going to let you get away with this either. <laughs> woman, the Bible talks about you dressing modestly. And around here, just so you know, cleavage ain't cool. I got some money in my pocket. Let's go get a scarf. Let's get you a turtleneck. It's just not cool. Your body belongs to your husband. And if you're trying to get a man by showing him a little too much, very silent in this room suddenly. <laughs> <laughs> It's not what we're supposed to be doing. Your inner beauty is supposed to shine. It's supposed to radiate by the gifts that God has given you, by the fruit of his spirit. Let's just wait for a moment. Because it's a God moment right now. Guys, this is something that you have to understand. You cannot wear a muscle shirt if you have no muscles. It's why I wear baggy clothes. And, and, see why you can't let me get up here, right? But we need to examine ourselves. We need to examine ourselves, the Bible says. You know, I, I think it's so vital. Even when we take communion, the Bible says, examine yourself before you take part of communion. We have communion every single month. Before you take communion, examine yourself. It's a moment for you to share some things that just don't line up anymore. And finally, the A. Up until now, you have an A or an ah moment. But we need an aha moment. A moment that changes everything. And the A is for action. And it must be immediate. Now, some action-oriented people tend to act before thinking things through. You know who they are. They're the people who go to the supermarket, throw everything in their cart, then get to the counter and have no money. <laughs> right? Or not enough money, and you're standing behind them. You're telling me you didn't know that you didn't have enough money to pay for all this? <laughs> Being impulsive is what's guiding us into trouble. The wind blows, and we want to go with it, and the wind is not the Holy Spirit. 
because it's leading you in a direction that doesn't allow you to filter or to think or to understand where it is you're going. So a lot of us, you know, action has to be immediate, but in this case, it's because he assessed and realized what he had done, where he had gone, the harm he had caused, and then he says, okay, I know what I got to do. I got to make this right. And sometimes you have people who also, during their action, they're so reflective. All they do is think and think and think and think and think. They're the ones that I go, um, I said, hey, we got to go. Um, I said, hey, we got to get there at 2 o'clock. Um, I said, hey, can we go now? Um, it's like they're waiting. And you know what happens? The opportunity, that aha moment, that moment that God wanted you to act just goes. God's been calling you, calling you, screaming loudly about that situation you're in, that relationship you're in, stuff that's coming out of your mouth, the way you're treating the people around you, the way you're treating this church. There's got to be a moment in our lives, in this place, where we transition from takers to givers. There's got to be a moment where we realize, man, God wants me to partner with him. Man, that's a pleasure. That's a joy that you should relish. How can I do this? An action needed during an aha moment is not complicated. It's simple. I'm going to ask the team to come forward as we close. What he did was he got right up and went home to his father. In an aha moment, that's when God, it's a God moment where everything changes. Everything changes. There's nothing that's left to chance anymore. God begins to open doors and reveal things to you that you did not see before. Begin to see yourself in light of his scripture. Begin to see yourself in light of his love and there's this awakening that happens and you realize, uh-huh, I got it. I got it now. I know that I'm not supposed to live just for myself. This is not eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow I die. That's not what life is. Every one of you has a purpose, and God has a plan for you, and, and your responsibility is to discover what that is. That, that the life you have lived, God is not going to push by the wayside. He's going to use it for his glory. That there is someone you're going to share your story with, someone who's going to be in the same place, and they're going to ask you, how did you get by this? And you're going to tell them, Jesus. Amen. Not that way, but you'll tell them. Jesus. It's J-E-S-U-S. It's Jesus. That, that is the one that changed my life. That is the one that came in, turned my life upside down, put it right side up, made what's crooked straight, and is allowing me to see things for what it is. And this is that I need you more than I need anything else. I go back to my father's house. Man, if you know this story, the father met him before he even showed up. To the house. He saw him coming from afar off. He was waiting for him. Think about this. God is waiting for you to respond to these moments. He's just waiting for you. He's poking and prodding and he's screaming loudly. He says, hey, Raya, no, no, don't go that way. Hey, hey. Stop doing that. Oh, yo. And we hit the snooze button. And I, I pray that you will realize who made that snooze button. Snooze button is meant to turn you off to God's direction, God's love for you. If you have your yellow cards, and maybe you don't understand this whole aha thing, I want to help you with it. And all you got to do is write aha on it. A-H-A. That's all you got to do. Just write, aha. Someone will call you. Someone will reach out to you. But here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to see where you are. Just wait, where are you right now? You're not in the will of God. You're, you're engaged in some things you shouldn't be doing. You're, you're still living for you. It's all about you. You got this whole list of things that you're planning on doing, but you've never gone to God to ask him, what's his plan for me? Now, I'm not saying that he doesn't want you to go to school. He doesn't want you to change jobs or go here or go there. Of course, he wants those things for you. But if your only goal is just to make money, and that's your God. If it's just to get some things, then that's your God. If it's just to snub your nose at people and say, I made it and you did it. That's your God. So see where you are. Decide what to do about where you are. I want you to live for Jesus. I want every single person here to surrender and yield their lives to Jesus Christ. And once you've decided what to do about where you are, act on what you decided. Some of you need to quit some stuff and you're still playing around with it. Quit. Oh, it's not that easy. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Don't wait for a doctor to tell you. Don't wait. Don't wait for the hurt and pain that comes along with living in a distant country. Come home. Come home. Every single one of you, those who believe in Christ, those who've been in Christ, come home. This is, there's more to this than what you've been experiencing. We're just scratching the surface. Come home. Make this your aha moment. I'm done.